0: Hello and welcome to Mattathias Reads the World, a crappy podcast family podcast inspired by James and Nicole Goldberg's James's Crappy Podcast, Um, a podcast um, made a couple years ago recording all sorts of wonderful things. And we're here tonight for yet another episode of Mattathias Reads the Lit Blitz, this time with guest star and uh, renowned... Lit Blitz winner and I think every time Lit Blitz finalist, queen of the Lit Blitz, Mary Jane Rice. Um, Mary Jane, will you introduce yourself (laughs) for our listeners?
1: Sure. Um, uh, First of all, just to correct you, I think there was one year I was not on the finalists. Okay. So, But um, I'm a a wife and a mom of four boys, almost an empty nester. We're getting toward the mm-hmm. end here now. Um, I work full time uh, as an editor for DMBA. That's the company that administers health and wellness and financial benefits for church-owned companies. Mm-hmm. Um, Desert
0: Mutual Benefit.
1: Bene- Desert Mutual Benefit administrators. Okay. Yeah. I've been there for as long as I've been married, so like okay. 25 six 26 years. Um, I've been working at home since March because of the pandemic, so it's nice that they'll adapt for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I studied English at BYU about 30 years ago, and I got to uh, have some good classes from some of the Mormon literature professors there, like Eugene England and Richard Craycroft, mm. and uh, just got a little taste for Mormon literature yeah. way back then. Yeah. And I have been, as you said, participating in the Mormon Lit Blitz ever since the very first one in 2012. Um, I won that first contest, mm. but uh, mm-hmm. and I've been a finalist in every one except for one. The one year that I wasn't a finalist, I was like, oh, finally, at last, we've got enough entries, that (laughs) I'm not a finalist anymore, but it is gratifying, it was gratifying to get back on again the next year. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, a satisfactory moment for you. (laughs) So I actually have a question before we jump into things. How did you find out about the Litlitz that first year?
1: See, I was trying to think about it, and I think it must be this, um, James, your brother, had a blog, or he still has mm-hmm. it, but he yeah. wrote on it more frequently. Um, is it the I think it's the Mormon Midrashim. Mm-hmm. And and there was a post that kind of went viral around that time. Yeah. I don't entirely remember what it was, but one of my friends shared it. Okay. And I kind of was interested in that. And then yeah. I started checking back on his blog from time to time and he I think he must have promoted the contest from there
0: he did yeah
1: Yeah, I wonder which
0: post that was
1: I cannot Um, remember yeah I know that people were sharing it around about that time so 2012 would have been yeah an election year yeah it was it was was when
0: uh, Mitt Romney was running so we had a couple posts where like Slater other outlets would do pieces on Mormon history because of Mitt Romney Right. And James would write correction pieces
1: <laughs> Maybe or responses, it was one of those.
0: and so a yeah. couple of those went off and things like that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. He he was quite a blogger from about 2009 through 2013, and then got right. busy doing other things.
1: Right. Um, yeah, and I've been always grateful to him for hosting this contest because there's just not another one like it anywhere, mm-hmm. and um, they have really excellent taste in who they pick for the finalists, which is not to promote Mm -hmm. myself, but Uh I have enjoyed reading all of the things that they choose, and it's not something that I would have been able to do otherwise.
0: I mean, as a fellow finalist, I would agree that they have excellent taste, (laughs) So, and it is a fabulous contest. Now, you are also, so you are a Mormon poet, um, long-term Mormon poet with a facebook page a poet in zion how did you get started as an lds poet
1: uh gee you might as well ask me how i got started Mm -hmm. as an lds person i just um i was born into the church you know born Mm -hmm. and raised and i've been writing poetry since before i can remember and Like when I was a little girl, even before I knew how to write, I would fill up notebook pages with little scribbles. Wow. Pending like I was writing. And and then my dad gave me an old manual typewriter, you know, not even electric. And I would type up newsletters and make up little poems and stories and things. And in general I thought I was gonna be just a writer, writer Mm -hmm. like novels and things, but I always kinda enjoyed doing the poetry because it was shorter and Mm -hmm. it doesn't take as much concentration to get to the end of it. And and, and as I got older and busier, that's what I kind of focused on. But um, I have always wanted to write um, just about my life and my experiences like all writers do. And I Mm -hmm. don't like the idea that I should have to like soften who I am or what I am or what I believe in, I can just talk about it. And, uh, you know, if a Catholic writes poetry, they put in the stuff that they're familiar with. If a a Jewish person does, they put in what they're familiar with. I just put in what I'm familiar with. Mm
0: -hmm. So I think another thing with poetry, so you noted that it's shorter. So it's, you know, in some ways easier to write because you, you don't spend as long writing it. Right. But what's amazing to me and what, your poetry really excels at is to take like the full emotional weight of what would be like a novel length story and to pack it into 25
1: lines right well yeah and that's interesting I was listening to a actually an economics podcast the other day but the the economist was talking about poetry and he said almost the same thing which is Mm -hmm. basically that you can fit all of the import. Mm-hmm. of a novel into a poem I mean there's other things about a novel that are important yeah. that, and that are enjoyable to read through but you can get the basic idea into a poem yeah like yeah it really packs a lot of emotions so, yeah and, and yeah so yeah. It, for me because I was a busy mom and and working full-time things writing poetry just fit in with the schedule mm-hmm. um, but I suppose if I had had more time in a different life, then maybe I would have chosen something else, short stories or or, or novels.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I think one of the kind of the, the burden that comes with the poem, right, I think one of the reasons we like reading novels and other stuff, too, is it is kind of nice to have the emotional weight of insight spread out slowly over, like, 50,000 words, instead of just, like, in that super concentrated dose,
1: right. And to go um, along in the story with the protagonist and learn yeah. along with the protagonist, and yeah. It, yeah, yeah, it's satisfying to get to that resolution more slowly.
0: Yeah, um, but with with all of that said, let's turn now to mm-hmm. your poem from this year's Lit Blitz, a piece called oh. "Family Tree." Could you read that for us? Sure. go
1: family tree I will liken thee O house of Israel like unto a tame olive tree Jacob chapter 5 verse 3 I don't remember how we started who was grafted into whom who first strengthened roots and tamed bitter thoughts to tenderness but I believe the master planted us together left us alone a while, not to make us desperate, but to give time for turning toward each other, to nourish away weakness before we wither. He waits at the gate, hand poised midway between grief and hope.
0: Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that last line always hits me. Midway, mm-hmm. right, midway between grief and hope.
1: Right.
0: Um, and the beginning, you start with this, I, I don't remember how we started. Yeah. But I think is a very interesting beginning, right? you It kind of comes in without, you don't introduce to the audience who we're talking about here or what right. sort of situation we're talking about. Or, you know, where that beginning would be. Is this the beginning of a marriage? Is this the beginning of a country? Is this the beginning right. of the world? Right. Right. Um, well,
1: and there's... So the the allegory that it's referencing yeah. talks about how branches are grafted into trees and the yeah. roots strengthen the branches and the branches yeah. strengthen the roots and then they're re-grafted into other places. And yeah. so I was just sort of saying, like, yeah. I don't even know where... It, started or
0: who was the help who yeah 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 and it's this long complicated vision allegory um in the book of mormon um a a beautiful piece of poetry on its own but a longer one and a somewhat difficult one for many people yes (laughs) um but you like compress it here right you take what is famously one of the longest chapters in the book of mormon and you give us this very intense emotional compression from the voice of one of the trees
1: right or or you know so what i try to do with the scriptures and things in general is a lot of times you're reading along in the scriptures and you're like oh if people could just get this and mm-hmm. Everything would be so much yeah. better. But as with self-help books, you don't read them so you can tell everybody else mm-hmm. how they live their life. You mm-hmm. read them to help improve the person you can actually uh, control, which is yourself. Yeah. So I try to refocus everything inward to mm-hmm. kind of cut off that impulse to tell everybody. Now listen, you people <laughs> i have got problems with you. Yeah. and. And so it's like focusing it in on me and my family mm-hmm. or yeah. or the people that I deal with. Yeah. Um, how would I apply this grand narrative art of yeah. future dispensations just to us?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But in that, in that uh, narrowing down, you also hit on something and I think you're able to see kind of to an emotional core mm-hmm. that then can be like leveled up to the different, more expensive levels, right?
1: Right, yeah. Where this
0: poem, like, really works, right? Like, like I said, we don't know whether it's a marriage or a family mm-hmm. or a nation or the whole world, and it's all of them.
1: Yeah, it could be. Right. Now, I will say that not everything that works to heal nations yeah. is going to work to heal a family yes. and vice versa, yeah. but there's certain things yeah. that do... That, that can work across the board.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so what do you see as, like, the relationship between those, like, different levels of emotional <laughs> drama in this, like, big salvation story we're part of, right?
1: <laughs> the different levels of emotional drama. I don't know. So <laughs> you, were, you were asking, like – emotion emotional to, uh, turns in the poem how yeah. i approach the mix of emotion in the poem and yeah. frankly i just write what i feel uh-huh. <laughs> so it's like yeah. you hey you, you take, have like a visceral reaction to it and then you try and and put that in the poem because yeah. you hope that whatever hits you is going to hit somebody else out there the same way um this particular poem, though, you know, sometimes you'll have ones that are all hot emotional highs and uh-huh. some that are all emotional lows, but this one kind of, like, turns. Yeah. It turns back and forth from a high to a low yep. to a high to a low, and like the allegory does. There's, yeah. like, everybody's doing really well, and then everybody's yep. corrupt, and the fruit's all yep. bitter. Um, and by juxtaposing those two, you, you can get at kind of how these extremes happen over the course of generations and over the course of a family and over the course of your own life. And sometimes you're the one that's being tender and nourishing. And sometimes you're the bitter one
0: that's causing
1: the problems Mm -hmm. and everybody takes their turns at doing these different things. Mm -hmm. Um, And we see this over and over again in the Nephite Lamanite dynamic. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is why this particular allegory was really important
0: yeah. to the Nephites yeah yeah oh they really struggled to see that like the Lamanites had an important role to play for them they wanted to be like look right. we don't need those people we don't need right. those people we're we're the ones who it's supposed to happen for
1: <laughs> right so, so yeah yeah they the, the Nephites did have a big problem with the Lamanites I I've been yeah we do our come follow me study and Sometimes I'll tell the boys, you know, the Book of Mormon isn't how the Nephites are the good guys and the Lamarites yeah. are the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And it's not even how they switch roles. Yeah. It's that the Lord is warning people mm-hmm. who should know better Yeah. to, like, you know, get your family straightened out. Yeah. Work together. Learn, you need learn each how other. To value each other and love each other.
0: Yeah 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 and i love how you approach that here but again in this very in this way where um it is so personal
1: Mm
0: -hmm. right it the i right the first word is i
1: yes
0: um (laughs) and then the so the the bitter thoughts and the tenderness the desperation the turning right All of this is in that personal level, as well as being on this cosmic scale, right? Right. Centuries and centuries.
1: So the the desperation that the Nephites had a lot of problems, Mm. a lot of troubles, and Mm. they, but this whole hard journey that they made across the Mm -hmm. ocean, it wasn't, to punish them or to make yeah. their life miserable, it was to bring them to a promised land, it was yeah. to give them a fighting chance at survival and yeah. you know, salvation.
0: Yeah, and a
1: lot of times that same thing in our lives, these yeah. hard things that we go through are not things we're allowed to experience because God is like, I don't care what happens to you, yeah, you can be desperate, whatever. Yeah. These are all necessary for yeah. us reaching a higher level. So, um yeah. I feel like that was kind of in play there too. It's not mm-hmm. to make us desperate. It's to Yeah. give us an opportunity to turn toward each other and help each other.
0: But you're also I love how you phrased that in the middle, but I believe, right? So it's saying like yeah. it's sure it, it's understandable given the number <laughs> of bitter thoughts that go around.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and how long we've been left alone together. Yeah. That maybe Some people just get desperate and that's understandable.
1: But I believe
0: (laughs) that wasn't the purpose. Right. And it
1: does feel like you're left alone sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you're kind of left to your own devices.
0: Yep. To figure things out. Because you've got to, right? How are you going to do things if you don't have to figure out how to do things? Right. Um, That's the challenge. I'm sure you've dealt with that challenge as a parent of... How do you leave your kids alone to figure something out that they just need to figure out? Right. That you want to step in, and you want to show them and tell them, but you know that if you step in, they're not going to listen anyway.
1: Right. <laughs> and that that whole the whole um, God leaving the Nephites and the Lamanites together alone mm-hmm. is sort of like that. I think that um, it's kind of like how parents leave their kids who are working through si- sibling rivalry together instead mm-hmm. of always intervening and saying no this is the fair thing and you do this and you yeah. do that letting yeah. them develop their own relationship and work it out
0: Yeah I don't know if you've seen like the the meme that goes around sometime about like two kids stuck in the same t-shirt cuz they're not getting uh, along
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's funny Right. It always makes me laugh because they look so miserable.
0: Yeah. But But it's that thing.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, Yeah. And, uh, Oh yeah. That last moment. He waits at the gate. mm
1: -hmm.
0: Hand poised midway between grief and hope. Yeah. Um, I love and it it hurts to have this unresolved moment, right? The ending isn't like everything is okay now. You end in this moment where it's like, we still don't know. We don't know how this story ends. We don't know how it turns out. Do we make it? Do we learn to get along? Do we not? And especially, you know, during this year as a country where we're seeing lots of different things and where we're still in that place of like, do we learn how to get along? Do we learn how to take care of each other? Mm-hmm. Um that hand poised midway between grief and hope.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Where does that come from
1: for you? So the the allegory is really unusual because the master, the mm-hmm. lord of the vineyard, the one who is supposed to know it all from beginning to end Mm -hmm. he's persuadable right Mm -hmm. i i mean you can put different people in the position of the the -hmm. master and the servant but if we're assuming that you know the master is god or jesus christ or you know Mm -hmm. then he should know how it's going to but he still you know, he grieves over when the fruit is bitter and he allows himself to be persuaded by the servant to um, to give it another chance, to give it yeah. another go.
0: Yeah. And
1: on the one hand, you think well, he knows how it's going to end. Why yeah. does he continue to do this? But I always I always end on hope being it doesn't end on grief. It ends on hope.
0: Yeah. Because
1: yeah. That's the whole point of this allegory is there's hope Mm -hmm. there's hope for you you're not just some mass of people that comes to a bitter end you are individuals and and you can have a good end if you will listen i mean nephi Mm -hmm. had his vision of the future and he saw Mm -hmm. all these bad things coming for his people and mormons at the end and he sees all these bad things that happened before Mm -hmm. yeah but and but the book of mormon is not about uh, all these bad things are coming your way too. The Book of mm-hmm. Mormon is about learn from this. this. Yeah. Yeah. Choose hope. Hey, you do,
0: have a different do. chance. Yeah. Things you could end that. differently if you learn from us. Right. Big if.
1: If. If. <laughs> But, but, yeah, I think it's unusual that the master is persuadable. The master want, is rooting for you. He's going to give you as many chances as you can possibly have.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And and his question is always, what more could I do for my vineyard? Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Um, he's racking his brain. Like, what else can we try? Yes. What haven't we tried yet? we've grafted this onto that and that onto that. I'm like, let's do every combination of grafts. (laughs) Yeah. Right. To try and save all these trees. Um, Yes. And I think there's a, this reminds me a lot. There's a line on the title page of the book of Mormon, which Mm -hmm. is presumably written by Moroni, the last recorder in the book of Mormon, kind of summing everything up. Joseph Smith says at one point that the title page is, a translation of the last plate in the uh, whole book. Interesting. After you know, after Moroni's closing, there's this description of like what e- what even is this book. And it says one of the things it says is you know that they may know the covenants of the Lord that they are not cast off forever. Right, like you may feel cast off, but you're not cast off forever. Mm-hmm. Right, this is a learning time. Um, there is a gathering meant to happen and a return Um, it may feel really lonely in the present but this is not the end and there's that hope again but the hope in this kind of like uncertain state um, which I think this poem does so beautifully
1: right I um, thank you well That's what I was trying to go for, you know, basically that not just do we have our individual families, but we are all a family. Yeah. And. Yeah. It's hard and we get mad at each other, but. Yeah. Yeah. We can work it out.
0: Yeah. And there are these like minute by minute. Sibling dramas and mm-hmm. spouse dramas and other family dramas. And then there are the century by century dramas. Mm-hmm. But it's all made of the same stuff. Can we care for each other? Can we nourish yeah. each other? Can we turn towards each other instead of turning away and withering? Right. Like it says there at the end. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, this is an amazing poem. Um, Thank you. You, You're really
1: good for my ego.
0: (laughs) I mean, that's the goal. That's part of the goal here. (laughs) So um, I told another Mormon poet, Darlene Young, that part Mm -hmm. of the purpose of uh, this podcast is uh, to be like a, Self-help group in bragging about <laughs> yourself a little bit for people who are very aversive <laughs> naturally to bragging.
1: Right, right. I listened to I listened to all the episodes that you've done of the Lip Blitz entries, and they they were really enjoyable. Thank I you. Thought all these people are delightful people, and yeah. I loved love their friends. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, you have a way of getting people to talk about their stuff in the, in really interesting ways.
0: And I picked a really easy group of people to do that with.
1: Because yeah. <laughs> like you said,
0: they are all really interesting people. The Lit Blitz yep. gets together a really interesting, good group who are very it's, thoughtful
1: mm-hmm.
0: about what they're doing.
1: Right. Um, I mean, how else do you come up with a coloring book <laughs> of airplanes about the Book of Mormon and yeah. all its crashes? Yep. Yep. That takes a lot of thought.
0: Yeah, that's a good one.
1: Mm. That's
0: a very good one. Jared will be pleased. That's two episodes in a row that people (laughs) have mentioned. Airplanes that crashed. (laughs) His magnum opus coloring book. (laughs) He said he's going to come up with even more. Oh, good. So, yeah, he's working on the next LDS coloring book.
1: Right.
0: Um. But yeah, so to turn from this specific poem to your work more generally, as I said in the introductions, you have repeatedly been called by many commentators on the contest the Mm -hmm. queen of the lit Mm -hmm. So how do you handle the
1: fame? (laughs) Oh, it's crazy. So much fame. Um, It feels really weird because I do not think of myself is famous and i you know <laughs> honestly am not very famous mm-hmm. but it's yeah
0: for a select group
1: me, <laughs> that the narcissistic part of myself that wants to be a writer and be read is really gratified by it so i feel grateful that you know there's nothing nicer than ha- having somebody just give you an unsolicited compliment and and say something like that especially when you've been uh working kind of hard for a Mm -hmm. long time to get things to go right yeah (laughs) a lot of times when you're a poet it feels like Mm -hmm. you're just throwing words out into the ether and
0: yeah
1: maybe somebody reads them maybe somebody hears them and it connects with them and maybe not um Hugh Nibley used to say that Writing was one of the greatest miracles mm-hmm. that God ever gave us. It's this yeah. really simple technology yeah. that you can do with anything as long as you have a surface you can write on. And with these few characters, you can talk across time and space with another yeah. person.
0: It's a time machine. And then,
1: right. And that it's not just about what happened to you but it's about what you think and what you feel and you believe and mm-hmm. then this person on the other side um translates that back out of those symbols like like you have a yuram or something and yeah and you riddle out what that person is saying and it connects and to be part of that it feels kind of magical you know
0: it is it's pretty so. magical. And yeah, I was actually, so I was telling my mom yesterday that I'd be interviewing you tonight and she said, oh, wow. And I said, exactly. <laughs> uh, is the proper response. She's a big fan of yours.
1: Well, so. thank you. That's yeah. really kind. Yeah. I, I like to hear that.
0: So as a uh, queen of the lip blitz, what... Uh, words do you have for your adoring fans or what advice do you have for your envious rivals for achieving this level of success um, as a Mormon literary elite?
1: Hmm. I, I feel like this is a trap. This question is a trap. <laughs> well, so- yeah,
0: as one of your envious rivals, I'm trying to, <laughs> you know.
1: Um, so I don't have anything unique to say as far as improving poetic abilities because mm-hmm. there are people out there who can teach you that all over the internet and, and much mm-hmm. better poets than me. But if you want to focus on Mormon literature and then just do it, you know, don't feel like you have to necessarily explain what it is you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I, really enjoyed so darlene's episode and she was talking about her poem about in the um dressing room changing room of the temple i can't yeah. remember the title i apologize yeah. um, no worries but she what she's saying there is obvious to a person who has been to the temple yeah um, and she and when you know you have that background knowledge mm-hmm. it becomes very you can see clearly and it it just really, uh, the, the sort of metaphors of the shedding of the clothing and the shedding of the outside, um, cares of the world makes a lot of sense. And I really think that if you're going to write Mormon poetry, then just write it what you know and what you experience. Um, uh, there's going to be an audience for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, They do, it's it's hard, and James has talked about this too, it's hard for people, I think, in the church to really be interested in Mormon literature because they either think it's going to be really bad, Mm -hmm. like badly written, or it's going to be really hard on the church. And for people who love being members of the church and love the culture, you know, it's like hearing somebody badmouth your family, your brothers and sisters. Yeah. You might <laughs> yep. you might have problems with your brothers and sisters from time to time and yep. know that there's things to to be improved upon, but you don't yep. want to hear people dragging them down.
0: Yep. So yeah. I, doesn't I matter think, how valid the criticism is. It's right. Just...
1: Right. So um I pull my punches a little mm-hmm. bit in that respect. I I mean I'm always talking to somebody who I love and Mm -hmm. i want them to be better i want them to be happier i don't want Mm -hmm. it to all fall apart and be a mess and so that's another thing i would suggest is kind of like consider how does you really feel about the church and the organization and the people that are in it um yeah you can get caught up with issue poetry um uh which from my point of view, a lot of it can sound like just a big lecture or you can deal with those same issues in a way that's, um, Mm -hmm. understanding that everybody, everybody can get tripped up by stuff. Everybody has failings. Everybody can be confused and Hey, we're all in this together. Yeah. Um, We want to build each other up, not tear each other down. So that's kind of my, Mm -hmm. My yeah. motto just for my writing, and I try yeah. for my life, you know, it's not always the same, is to yeah. build up and put into other people's little lamp, oil lamps instead of drain out and take away from. So yeah. um, that's confusing advice as far as being a poet, and I can't yeah. guarantee that you'll end up winning the Lip <laughs>
0: Yeah, and it's so what complicated. what I try to do myself. <laughs> and I do think... Well, I do think another worry people have about Mormon literature
1: Uh
0: is, um, so James has a great essay about this, uh, the avant-garde wing of the Church History Museum.
1: Yeah, I love that.
0: Our review, um, (laughs) and, you know, one of the big things is, you know, we're Mormons, we're, we're, we tend to be very known for our, like, can-do optimistic attitude. Yeah. And he points out, he says, you know, um, I've learned that inspiring is not actually necessarily a positive review, mm-hmm. um, that there's this worry that it will just be like too saccharine and flat and, you know, just gung-ho, we can do it without acknowledging hard things, right? Yeah. I mean, that's another worry people have, um, as Latter-day Saints about LDS art, right? Is that like, I get enough of the like, pull up your bootstrap stuff in my family home evening lessons. I don't need it from the books I'm reading.
1: If you look at the art of the world and not Mm -hmm. even necessarily literary art, but popular art, um, the Harry Potter novels or, or something like that, there is no easy achieving of the satisfactory conclusion. Yep. There's a satisfactory conclusion, yep. but they have to go through some really hard things. People die. People yep. are maimed. You yep. know, they lose good friends and make terrible enemies. Yeah. So there's nothing about Mormon literature that shouldn't be able to encompass those things. Um, and still be something that people can enjoy reading and feel as uplifting or inspiring by the end, you know?
0: Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some
1: people, some people do have a low tolerance for anything that might. Make... <laughs> long, long time ago, so at my work, we had put together we had a, a health newsletter, a health newsletter, but it was something that went outside to an outside company and they put it together for Mm -hmm. us and then we'd mail it to our participants. Well, one time we got a response from, I believe it was a seminary teacher or somebody in the CES department Mm -hmm. who was like, well, you have this illustration on the front of the newsletter of a cup with some steam coming out of it. And I know it could be hot chocolate, but you know, you had to consider that we're all, uh, employees of the church and yeah. this is not a good luck yeah. you know it's dangerous and i was like you're kidding no. me hot so drinks people are, some people are a little bit oversensitive yeah. but you know yeah. what some people everywhere you go yeah in any church or organization or anything are a little bit sensitive so yeah. you kind of have to get that's another thing i will add this for um my advice to people who want to become better writers or better at anything in general is to learn how to accept criticism without taking it too personally yeah um i it takes a it's really hard to cultivate people who are willing to provide you with useful critiques because they are as nervous about it as you are and they don't want to hurt your feelings and Mm -hmm. you have to you have to provide them with a safe space to say what they think about what you write and um so that means you even when you are like want to argue with them about their criticism Mm -hmm. not arguing with them to just let them have their say and say thank you i appreciate you reading this and taking the time to say something about it. It means a lot to me. Um, and there's yeah. so many people over the years that I've been like, yeah, well, I don't think I'm going to incorporate that feedback. But yeah. even when I disagree with them, I learn something from every little piece that comes back to me. Maybe it's even, Hey, maybe people don't understand that as well as I thought they would. Yeah. Or maybe this is only for a certain type of audience.
0: Yeah. Um, And I think that comes back kind of to the, um, you know, engravings, urum and thumbum thing you were talking about with writing. That, like, it's always this, you know, jump between kind of different worlds. When you write down your experience and someone else is receiving it in their own experience. And you care about what that person thinks because you want to communicate, right? You want the message to be received and to have an impact. Mm -hmm. But I think it is... It can be really hard to say, well, like, and to do, you know, to, to go back to another Book of Mormon example, right? Moroni has this period where he's really, really anxious because he's like, how will the people who read this book feel about my writing Uh skills? What if Mm -hmm. they think, what if they just aren't impressed with my skills as a writer? Yeah. Because I'm not a very good writer. Yeah. If
1: there's the mistakes, they're the mistakes of men. Yeah. Um, um so a hundred percent, you know, you want people to understand what it was that you yeah. are trying to say, but yeah. the, one of the wonderful, magical things of the whole transferring across time and space is that there's a synergy involved that when the person gets it on the other side, they get something that maybe you didn't intend.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and, that's the same thing with scripture as well. You know, there's a meaning meaning and then there's a meaning for you. Yeah. And poetry is not by any means scripture, but it, it, um, but scripture can be poetry. A lot of scripture is poetry. Yeah. And there's a lot of the qualities of scripture that you can have in your poetry, Mm -hmm. which is to say, so maybe you want to teach a certain principle Pull back a little bit. Don't make it so beat you over the head with it because if you pull back a little bit, like this little bit of ambivalence at the end of this poem about we're poised halfway between this and that, then the other person steps in and can provide their own meaning in that situation and say, oh, what does this mean to me? How is this affecting my life? What can I see here that relates to my experience?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Um, Yeah, and and then I I think another thing with, you know, is that it's really easy as a writer to get so worried about what your audience, you know, how your audience might interpret what you say that you don't say the thing that you actually care about. Because you don't want to actually show your heart in that way. Right. You don't want to put something out in front of people to get criticized and to get yeah. challenged <laughs> and to have random strangers who don't care how you feel
1: mm-hmm.
0: give you whatever advice they feel like you need to hear about how many steaming mugs of something
1: are in the illustrations. <laughs> that honestly just makes yeah. me laugh. So- yeah. Yeah, I I've had lots of feedback and different kinds of criticism over the years, mm-hmm. but I don't think I've ever had anything that made me want to cry. You know, yeah. I mean, even
0: yeah,
1: even some of the harshest stuff. I'm like, yeah. well, I see what you're saying. <laughs>
0: yeah, but you got you got a fair amount of like toughness and self confidence about like in the end, I I trust my experience. Right. And I trust well, that what I'm saying is true for me. And so even if it doesn't land for you, like, yeah. what do I do? I, I was writing my experience. Right? right.
1: And and there's a certain level of freedom when it comes to being a Mormon poet in that you're like, ah, you know, if yeah. this poem isn't popular with people, it's not the end of my career because I don't really have a career. <laughs>
0: cuz none of my poems are popular with a lot of people because i'm writing for a very small specific audience.
1: Right. Yeah. So it's there's a lot of freedom when you're like i'm just going to say what i feel. Yeah. And personally because i this is a part of my faith and not just for my culture, i do i want it to be something that's pleasing to heavenly father and so mm-hmm. i will pray for inspiration and guidance you know and then you just kind of have to make the leap of faith and say well i'm gonna just say this i've been praying for direction and help yeah. and i kind of feel like this is what should go in it and so i'm just gonna do it yeah and most often that works
0: yep yeah. and i really love what you've come up with doing that as one of your readers oh thank you um Speaking of which, so you mm-hmm. you came out with your first book a couple of years ago yes. now.
1: Mm-hmm. It is
0: really great. Messages on the water. Um, we will include a link in the show notes for anyone who wants to purchase Mary Jane's first book. <laughs> and then I hear you have a second book coming soon. Would you like to give a hint and uh, you know sneak yeah. teaser? Of your upcoming book and tell us when it will be available.
1: Yes. So I have a, a new book coming out called Grace Like Water. And don't worry, not all my books will have water in the title, but it just happened that mm-hmm. Grace Like Water was the title <laughs> that applied to yeah. this. Well, um, when they came out with the Come Follow Me program a couple almost like a year and a half ago, um I decided that I was going to write a poem every week to go along with the things that I read that Mm -hmm. week for the study, that that would help me focus on it more and get more out of it. And so over the year of writing a poem, at least a poem in a week about new Testament, turns out you get enough poems for a book. So I thought, well, I will publish a book. And it is being published under the aegis of, um, the Mormon Lit Lab, which is the group that does the Mormon Lit Blitz um, contest every year. Um, they started a nonprofit corporation to sort of help people shepherd their books to publication. And I believe I will be the first book published. Yeah. It's um, yep. coming out October 12th, which is my birthday. I thought that Celebrate, And yeah. I, I think we're going to do, I'm going to do a Facebook event and, and some different things, but I'm not entirely sure how it's all going to work yet because yeah. it's kind of busy, but, yeah. um, it will be available on amazon.com at October 12th and after. Um, so if people want to, to keep up on that, they can follow my Facebook page, which is a poet in Zion Um, And we'll have a link for that
0: in the show notes.
1: Right. Or if you're not on Facebook, you can follow the Mormon Lit Lab Patreon account um, and consider uh, becoming a patron because that money goes toward the contests and towards helping other people to publish their books. Yeah. Um, So if you want
0: to have more people for me to interview on my podcast, definitely become a patron (laughs) of the Mormon Lit Lab. So there can be more cool contests with more cool writers who
1: I can interview. Yes. Um, That would be awesome. Um, So there's illustrations. The cover is so very lovely. My son Nathan um, helped with the illustrations.
0: Yeah. And
1: uh, part of doing this whole thing is during the year, I kept a really fun poetry scrapbook that I have all of my early drafts and redline edits and uh artworks that inspired me or that remind me of the stories and notes from my scripture study and i have still some blank pages in the back of it and i have some kind of vague idea that maybe i'll have people who read the book like sign in the back and put their thoughts mm-hmm. but i don't know how that's going to work what yeah a pandemic going on right now but maybe eventually
0: eventually (laughs) yeah
1: but um, that's that's basically it i'm really excited about it i feel like you know the first book took me like 30 years to get enough poems and the second book took me a year and i feel like i'm making progress
0: yeah yeah you're speeding (laughs) up this this train is accelerating um which let's let's wrap up here Um, We like to end episodes here with a second reading, so people can savor your words as their final experience.
1: Okay. Family Tree. I will liken thee, O house of Israel, like unto a tame olive tree. Jacob, chapter 5, verse 3. I don't remember how we started. Who was grafted into whom, who first strengthened roots and tamed bitter thoughts to tenderness? But I believe the master planted us together, left us alone a while, not to make us desperate, but to give time for turning toward each other, to nourish away weakness before we wither. He waits at the gate, hand poised, midway between grief and hope.